It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening, and yes, she is back. I escaped, and I am so glad to be with you back here at Our Common Ground tonight. I did miss this. My head was damn near exploding. I couldn't talk, but I was thinking like a mug. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. It's so good to be back. And thank you for all of your emails and your e-cards. Thank you very much. Uh, wishing 
that I was back here. That made me feel real good that I have some utility. As soon as I hit 65, the voice just went. It just went. Lungs shut down, voice went away, and yes, I was very ill. (laughs) You know, and usually I will arrange if I'm going to be away for more than a week, usually at our common ground, because I think we're important. I think what we do here is important. At the end of the week, after we've had that great uh, taste of freedom from the hustle and bustle of the week that we have to sit back and look at and ask the question, what happened? What did I do? How did I make a difference? How, what should I change for next week? And am I on my path? And that is why I say that this is a, a, a sacred uh, place for us to come. For 31 years broadcasting our common ground, I have insisted that this is a place for black truth to reign. And so I didn't make, I was I really was too sick to even make calls to arrange for Wilma, Wilma, uh, Dr. Wilma Leon um, and Chauncey DeVega both contacted me and asked me, but I, I was just well, I was out of it. So I'm back, and we're moving forward. Uh, tonight we've got a great, great discussion for you. We have, if you have not looked at our event on Facebook, all of the materials that would prepare you to listen to our discussion tonight about the Department of Justice report on the Ferguson Police, Missouri Police Department and to really analyze and assess whether or not it is going to be useful, whether or not it is going to uh, get the change that we need. And we're going to be joined by Dr. James Lance Taylor, who is the past president of the National Conference of Black Political Scientists and author of the book, and if you have not read it, Black Nationalism in the United States from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. Now... Also in this broadcast, before we begin our discussion about the DOJ report, we are also going to look back at Bloody Sunday. Tomorrow, uh, this nation will look at a history of 50 years ago um, that started with something that's really, really um, iconic and 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 interesting a crossing of a bridge and it was perhaps the most terror ridden walk that a people could have in crossing the bridge and as I every time I talk about bridges of course Dr. Julia Hare comes to mind because she always talked talked to us about the idea of holding sacred the bridges which have brought us safely across. Did you hear what I said? Holding sacred the bridges which have brought us safely across. And you know that I am one who says that history is sacred and it matters. 
I said I had something very like genius. I'm I'm one of those geniuses that I'm only a genius in the car, and by the time I get home, I can't remember it to write it down. But it was something about this notion that we have in this season, cast season, of Sankofa time. Reaching back and fetching the best of our arsenal. So it's Sankofa time, folks. And that's where we're headed on our common ground as we come into this broadcast tonight. A 19-year-old black boy was shot dead Friday in Madison, Wisconsin. He was unarmed, and the perpetrator was a police officer. He was identified as Tony Terrell Robinson, a graduate of some Sun Prairie High School. A family has lost a son, and so has a black nation. The shooting took place Friday around 6.30 p.m., and there are already underway organizing for protests have started uh, at City Hall in Madison, Wisconsin. And you should know about this, especially as we commemorate the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. A lot of people say that is the 50th anniversary of the Selma March, but it is not. Out of Selma. Do we understand that? On this day, on that day, between 1961 and 1964, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, had led voting registration campaigns in Selma. Uh, it is Selma is located in the seat of Dallas County in Alabama, a small town with a record of consistent resistance to black voting. During January and February of 1965, Dr. Martin Luther King and SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, led a series of demonstrations in Dallas County at the courthouse. On February 17th, Jimmy Lee Jackson, a protester, was killed by an Alabama state trooper. And in response, a protest march from Selma to Montgomery was scheduled for March 7th. 600 marchers assembled in Selma on Sunday, March 7th, and led by now Representative John Lewis and other SNCC and SCLC activists crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge over the Alabama River en route to Montgomery. Just short of the bridge, they found their way blocked by Alabama state troopers and local police who ordered them turn around. When the protesters refused, the officers shot tear gas and waded into the crowd on foot and on horse, beating the nonviolent protesters with billy clubs and ultimately hospitalizing over 50 people. That is what we commemorate 50 years ago in Selma, Alabama, and we call it Bloody Sunday. One day 
when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours, oh, one day. Selma, Alabama, 1965. Oh, I don't want you to leave. We have come to register to vote. If you can't vote, you ain't free. And if you ain't free, well, then you're a slave. We're willing to be beaten for democracy. Years of struggle came down to this climactic battle for voting rights. Before it ended, black and white Americans gave their lives. But would that be enough? You beat people bloody in order that they will not have the privilege to vote. I know the one thing we did right was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the of the country where the government has proven itself unable and, uh, or unwilling to defend the Negroes when they are being brutally and unjustly attacked, then the Negroes themselves should take whatever steps necessary to defend themselves. To many Americans, black and white, this was their worst nightmare. Race riots in northern cities during the summer of 1964. The civil rights movement was 10 years old. Nonviolence had been the strategy. But could nonviolence work in a society which grew angrier each day? On behalf of the Nobel Committee. To the world, Martin Luther King Jr. had come to symbolize the success of nonviolent strategy. He received the Nobel Peace Prize in December 1964. And a gold medal. But in America, young militants were beginning to challenge King's leadership. Dallas County, Selma, Alabama. For more than a year, organizers from the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, had worked with local residents in waging a voter registration campaign. They met solid resistance. By the end of 1964, SNCC was exhausted with little money to continue. Selma's black leaders turned to Martin Luther King and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference for help. Today marks the beginning of a determined, organized, mobilized campaign. King's presence reopened an old rivalry between the ministers of SCLC and the young organizers of SNCC. We felt that there should be a projection and an organization of indigenous leadership, I mean leadership from the community, whereas the Southern Christian Leadership Conference took the position that Martin was a charismatic leader who was mainly responsible for, for raising money and they raised most of the money off of his leadership. But this differences in leadership then led to differences in style of work. We wanted a movement that would survive the loss of our lives. 
therefore the necessity to build a broad-based movement and not just a charismatic leader. SNCC and SCLC put aside their differences and launched a combined effort on January 18, 1965. The Dallas County Courthouse steps became a dramatic stage as prospective voters lined up for the registrar's office inside. The key actor was Sheriff Jim Clark. Movement leaders counted on Clark to draw media attention, the kind of attention that would interest Washington and win voting rights legislation. I am a segregationist. I do not believe in biracial committees. Selma's political leaders understood the movement's tactics and were desperate not to get caught in the middle. Mayor Joseph Smitherman and his public safety director, Wilson Baker, hoped to restrain the volatile Sheriff Clark as he dealt with the demonstrators. They picked Selma just like a movie producer would pick a set. You had the right ingredients. I mean, you'd had to see Clark in his day. Uh, he had a helmet liner like General Patton. He had the clothes, the Eisenhower jacket, and a swagger stick. And then Baker was very impressive. And I guess I was the least of all. I was 145 pounds and a crew cut and big ears. So you had a young mayor with no background or experience. Our city and our county has been subjected to the greatest pressures I think any community in the country has had to withstand. We've had in our area here outside agitation groups of all levels. We've had Martin Luther King, uh, King pardon me, sir, Martin Luther King. We have had people of the Nazi Party, the States' Rights Party. Both of these groups have come in. They have continually harassed and agitated us for approximately three or four weeks. More than half of Dallas County citizens were black, but less than 1% were registered by 1965. Throughout much of the South, Custom and law had long prevented blacks from registering. In Selma, the registrar's office was open only two days a month. Registrars would arrive late, leave early, and take long lunch hours. Few blacks who lined up would get in, and getting in was no guarantee of being registered. President Johnson knew the problem, and now, having soundly defeated conservative Barry Goldwater in the recent election, he set this goal. I propose that we eliminate every remaining obstacle to the right and the opportunity to vote. But Johnson's staff had doubts about pushing for more legislation. I think those of us who had been involved day in and day out uh, in civil rights litigation and getting the, the, the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act through Congress uh, were the people who were dragging our feet and wanted breathing room. The president didn't want that. He said, get it and get it now because we'll never have a better opportunity to get legislation on any subject, including civil rights, than we have right now in 1965. We have the majority to do it. We can do it. Although Sheriff Clark tried to control his temper, the strain began to show. In mid-January, he arrested Mrs. Amelia Boynton, a highly respected community leader. Angered by Mrs. Boynton's arrest, 105 local teachers marched to the courthouse in protest. 
knowing they might be fired by the white school board. We have come to be here because they are registering at this time. And so we have come to register. We have come to register. And, uh, uh, and this is our reason for being here. We're not still binding me with that light. We're not, we're not holding. Move back. I don't rem remember even hitting him, but I f went to the doctor and got an x-ray and found out I had a linear fracture and a finger on my left hand. With Jim Clark, it was a clear engagement between the forces of movement and the forces of the structure that would destroy movement. It was a clear engagement between those who wished the fullness of their personalities to be met and those that would destroy us physically and psychologically. You do not walk away from that. This is what movement meant. Movement meant that finally we were encountering on a mass scale the evil that had been destroying us on a mass scale. You do not walk away from that. You continue to answer it. If we're wrong, why don't you arrest us? Why don't you get out in front of the camera and go on? It's not a matter of being in front of the camera. It's a matter of facing it. your sheriff and good. facing your judge. We're willing to be beaten for democracy. And you misuse democracy in the street. You beat people bloody in order that they will not have the privilege to vote. You beat me in the side and then hide your blows. I don't need to leave. We have come to register to vote. I'm here to tell you tonight that the businessmen, the mayor of this city, the police commissioner of this city, and everybody in the white power structure of this city must take a responsibility for everything that Jim Clark does in this community. It's time for us to say to these men that if you don't do something about it, we will have no alternative but to engage in broader and more drastic forms of civil disobedience in order to bring the attention of the nation to this whole issue in Selma, Alabama. The campaign in Selma escalated when violence erupted during a march in a neighboring town. The march in Marion, Alabama was a nighttime march, and a nighttime march was always dangerous. And there was always discussion within the movement whether or not they had nighttime marches because they knew they were dangerous. We went up there this night, and we knew there was going to be trouble right away because local folks came up to us and threatened us, sprayed our cameras with black paint so we couldn't shoot, ordered us to put the cameras down, and harassed us. And it was a very tense situation. The toll town was surrounded that night by uh, auxiliary police, state troopers, sheriffs, and everybody who wanted to come in, really, who, who felt like beating folk up. We went around the side of the church and asked to get back into the church. Uh, some of us tried to go back in the front door, and some of us just went where we could, because as we moved, they, they also moved. They were whipping us as we went. Somebody walked up behind me and hit me with an axe handle, hit me in the head with an axe handle. Drew blood 
which required stitches, and I was taken to the hospital. But before I left, a white man walked up to me, and uh, he said, uh, are you hurt? Do you need a doctor? And I was stunned, and I put my hand the back of my head, and I pulled it back, and it was full of blood. And I said to him, yeah, I think I do. I'm bleeding. And then he thrust his face right up against mine, and he said, well, we don't have doctors for people like you. That same night, a young man named Jimmy Lee Jackson attempted to protect his mother from a similar attack. He was shot at point-blank range by an Alabama state trooper and died eight days later. of every politician from governors on down who has fed his constituents a stale bread of hatred and the spoiled meat of racism. He was murdered by the timidity of a federal government that can spend millions of dollars a day to keep troops in South Vietnam and cannot protect the lives of its own citizens seeking the right to vote. I just thought during that period it was just too much, too much. Too many, too many funerals, and some of us will say, how many more? We was infuriated to the point that we wanted to carry Jimmy's body to George Wallace and dump it on the, on the steps of the Capitol. We had got bout like the white folk are. We had determined, uh, decided that we were going to get killed or we were going to be free. I'm going to be frank about it, and all of us just about felt that way. So we had intended to do everything we could, so we was mad, I guess you say, and we said that we would take Jimmy down and, and just put his casket on those steps of the Capitol. In the nonviolent movement, if you went back to some of the classical strategies of Gandhi, when you have, um, say, uh, a, a great violation of the people, and there's a great uh, sense of injury, you have to give people a honorable, means and context in which to express and eliminate that grief and speak decisively and succinctly back to the issue. Otherwise, your movement will break down in violence and, and chaos. As a response to Jimmy Lee Jackson's death, SCLC proposed a symbolic march that would begin in Selma and travel 54 miles to the Capitol in Montgomery. So agreeing to go to Montgomery was that kind of tool that would absorb a tremendous amount of energy and effort and it would uh, keep the issue of disenfranchisement before the whole nation. And the whole point was of walking from Selma to Montgomery, it takes you five to six days, and which, which would give you the time to discuss in the nation um, through the, the papers, radio, television, and going around speaking what the real issues were. 
Governor Wallace was determined that the march would not take place. Such action would not be allowed on the part of any other group of citizens or non-citizens of the state of Alabama uh, and will not be allowed in this instance. The government must proceed in an orderly manner and lawful and law-abiding citizens must transact their business with the government in such a manner. There will be no march between Selma, Alabama and Montgomery and I have so instructed the Department of Public Safety. Despite the governor's ban, 600 people gathered at Brown Chapel AME Church on Sunday, March 7th, to begin the march to Montgomery. Dr. King was preaching in Atlanta. Hosea Williams and John Lewis led the march. Lewis chose to march even though his organization, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, opposed SCLC's strategy and decided not to take part. Surprisingly, as they walked through the center of town, there were no police in sight. Clark's posse was on the sidelines. It would be detrimental to your safety to continue this march, and I'm saying that this is an unlawful assembly. You have to disperse. You are ordered to disperse, go home, or go to your church. This march will not continue. Is that clear to you? I've got nothing further to say to you. people being beaten and I began to just try to run home as fast as I could and as I began to run home I saw horses behind me and I, I will never forget a freedom fighter picked me up Hosea Williams and I told him to put me down he wasn't running fast enough and I ran and I ran and I ran two blocks away from the bridge and we went back to try to help people back 
but the police were riding along on horseback beating people uh, and the tear gas was so thick you couldn't get uh, to where people were were in, in need of help. I saw it on television. To me, it expanded beyond uh, civil rights, beyond whether you vote or where you sit in a restaurant or in a cafe or on planes or trains or buses. It became a matter of human life, and it, it became an issue that transcended any of those we're voting on. It became bigger than that. After the beating on the bridge, we immediately sent out a call for our friends. We, we didn't think we could provide, we could count on uh, police protection. Uh, people said we should send in the National Guard. We didn't think that they would send in the National Guard to protect black people. Nonviolently and peacefully to let the nation and the world know that we are tired now. We've lived with slavery and segregation 345 years. We waited a long time for freedom. We are trying to remind the nation of the urgency of the moment. Now is the time make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to transform Alabama, the heart of Dixie, to a state with a heart for brotherhood and peace and goodwill. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. Oh, of the 50th anniversary tomorrow, just how important, just how many sacrifices were made. On March 21st, the final successful march began with federal protection, and on August 6, 1965, the Federal Voting Rights Act was passed by the U.S. Congress, completing the process that Dr. King had hoped for. Yet, for me, 15 years old, watching that violence and wondering whether my parents and my uncles, who had traveled to Selma, were safe, it was more about winning a federal act. It highlighted the political pressures that black people were negotiating at the time between movement radicalization and federal calls for restraint, as well as tensions about how to implement a movement to change people's lives. 
You're listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you for being with us. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Dr. James Lance Taylor to talk about the adequacy of the Department of Justice Ferguson, Missouri Police Department report. I thank you for being with us here tonight, and we're going to take this quick break. We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals. Our banks destroy the economy. The inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression. And you can go down the line. You can go down the line. The Wizard of Oz is 70 years old. Today, if Dorothy were to encounter men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, she wouldn't be in Oz. She'd be in Congress. <laughs> Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio. It's the Alpha Show, only on TruthWorks Network. Your Fridays just got served. Every Friday, he's all about politics. 10 p.m. TruthWorks Network. <laughs> Hello, I am Chauncey DeVega. You may recognize my voice from Ring of Fire Radio with Mike Papantonio, the BBC, Sirius XM, or the Tom Hartman Radio Show. And you may have read some of my essays at places like Salon and Alternate. The Chauncey DeVega Show at TruthWorks Network, Mondays, 8 p.m. There's a recent survey, it's actually, I think, experimental psychology, public opinion research, where they asked white respondents about the criminal justice system. And they showed them data before and after, clearly indicating that the system is biased, deeply biased against African-Americans and African-American men in particular. And even when made aware of the information, these white respondents, this is across divides of party and ideology, were even more likely to support punitive measures by the criminal justice system, even knowing that they were unfair. The Chauncey DeVega Show at TruthWorks Network, Mondays, 8 p.m. Okay, somebody fire that guy out there in the hall. Tell him to get back to his board. Thank you very much. Okay. In the, in the areas Lord. of the country where the government has proven itself unable and, uh, or unwilling to defend the Negroes when they are being brutally and unjustly attacked, then the Negroes themselves should take whatever steps necessary to defend themselves. To many Americans, black and white, this was their worst nightmare. Race riots in northern cities during the summer of 1964. The civil rights movement was 10 years old. Nonviolence had been the strategy. But could nonviolence work in a society which grew angrier each day? On behalf of the... No. Oh, we we'll be playing some happy songs tonight. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready to sing it? Yeah. Uh, y'all ready to sing it? Yeah. This is Our Common Ground at Blog Talk Radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. 
Thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and visit our Facebook page and Tumblr and Twitter and all that good stuff. I hope you enjoyed our Black History um, exhibit in the month of February when I was not here. Tonight we are going to be joined by... Dr. James Lance Taylor, and I thank him very much for uh, his patience in us getting through our tribute and understanding of Bloody Sunday. The Department of Justice issued a report on Wednesday detailing what it alleged was the Ferguson Police Department's pattern of racial bias and violation of people's constitutional rights. Right after the release, Attorney General Eric Holder held a news conference in which he said the police had created a highly toxic environment for the residents of Ferguson, especially for blacks. Quote, these policing practices disproportionately harm African-American residents, he said, prepared remarks in the news conference. He he went on further to say, in fact, our review of the evidence found no alternative explanation for the disproportionate impact on African-American residents other than implicit and explicit racial bias. According to this report, between 2012 and 2014, blacks made up 85% of the department's vehicle stops, 90% of citations, and 93% of arrests, even though they comprise just 67% of Ferguson's population. In the 105-page report, which I highly recommend that you read, the Department of Justice described numerous accounts from Ferguson residents about their interaction with police officers. Tonight, joining me for a discussion about this report is Dr. Lance Taylor. He's the author of the book, Black Nationalism in the United States, from Malcolm X to Barack Obama, which earned the 2011 Outstanding Academic Title Choice, Current Reviews for Academic Libraries. He is Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Politics at the University of San Francisco. He earned his his undergraduate degree at Pepperdine University, and his graduate degrees were earned at the University of Southern California. He has taught previously as a visiting associate professor of political science at St. Louis University in Madrid, Spain, and political science and African-American studies at the University of Berkeley. He is no visitor to our common ground. He is in our common ground voice. Dr. Taylor, thank you for for joining us tonight and welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Listen, I, I really thank you for your patience. Um I have been very disturbed about the corporate media and mainstream media and even some alternative media presentations, even the movie Selma. Uh, about how we inform our history on the issue of Bloody Sunday. 
and trying to put it in context for people so that as it is exploited by corporate media tomorrow, they will have a firm understanding of the context in which all of that happened, that it wasn't a bridge celebration. (laughs) So thank you very much. Now, let's talk about this report. It's 105 pages. Um, It has a summary of evidence, a summary uh, of Darren Wilson's account. It has audio recordings of shots fired. It has the Brown toxicology report. It has a legal analysis. It has a legal standard. It tries to explain away the uses of force under the standard of the law. And it looks at wolfiness, which I was very, very, that's not a word used very often uh, in uh, legal analysis. Right. What's your take on what this report means and what it says to us? I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you allowed me to to take my time coming on because I'm, I'm just so stirred by all of this. Uh, it's just—it's very cynical and very disturbing. The entire uh, way in which Ferguson has been collapsed into Selma, and the way I think the president, um, who I do have great respect for, but I disagree with his approaches towards African Americans as a people and a group, um, and I, I can talk more about that later. But um, it, you know, th- this means that we've made great progress, and it means that we haven't. It, 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 you know what what this says to mm-hmm. us the 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 verdict um the the department of justice report um the president's comments eric holder's comments preparing us for this all week i mean i think that's what people need to think about is that we have been being prepared for this very carefully by eric holder for well over a week maybe a month when he just slowly you know dropped information suggesting mm-hmm. that it's too hard for example he said about 4 days ago it's too hard to to uh, go after, uh, to you know, to punish civil rights violations. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. how the Attorney General of the United States of America can say such a thing. Could say but that's that, what he yes. said to prime us and prep us for this. And so uh, people like, you know, those of us who are attuned to the ways in which this whole racial dimension and dynamic in America plays out um, are, are typically cynical enough to, to not expect anything more than what we've seen. And, and so what I'm suggesting is that we have not, um, had a forthright um, summary of uh, of the events in Ferguson that w- would lead the president uh, or the Department of Justice, should I say more accurately, to prosecute these individuals. I, they're telling us two diametrically opposing things, that Ferguson Police Department is a thoroughly racist police department from top to bottom, and they have enriched their careers, their retirements, their their fund uh, their pension funds, their children's education, on a captive black colony of sixty seven percent of the black population is taking care of the white community and their and their families generationally through the use of petty uh, crime law enforcement so called broken windows approaches as a revenue generating scheme and this is not just 
in Ferguson. This is in any town that you're in and any town where people are listening around this country. Check your local um, law enforcement. Check your parking and traffic ticket patterns, and you'll see what the Department of Justice exposed in Ferguson. The same thing happened in the town Jennings, Missouri, nearby, where Darren Wilson and the entire police department was dissembled and fired for racial practices mm-hmm. of the exact sort, of the identical Ex- sort. Y- y- that Darren Wilson, Ex- exactly. Wherever Darren Wilson has worked, the police department has, found, has been found to be a thoroughly racist police department. And then Eric Holder and Barack Obama tell us, but not enough to be, they kill Michael Brown. And this racism killed Michael Brown, and this petty law enforcement of petty crimes is, is, is likely what led Mike, uh, uh, Darren Wilson to approach Michael Brown in the first place for a, and his friend for simple jaywalking. Uh, it's no different than Eric Garner was arrested for selling, you know, another petty crime, selling cigarettes. It's, these aren't armed robberies uh, or something of that sort. And, and in both cases, despite what they claim about Michael Brown you know, in terms of the earlier, the other video, the bottom line is that law enforcement officer did not know any of that at the time. And so they were approaching these two men, Eric Garner and Michael Brown, for petty offenses, jaywalking and selling illegal cigarettes. And both men were murdered in America. And Barack Obama says, and Eric Holder say, that this is really, really bad, but not bad enough for us to prosecute. And I think that's the, the cynical and troubling part of this, it's as if um, the Justice Department, I mean, I, I said this in, in a recent post I, I put out, I'm thankful that Barack Obama and Eric Holder were not in charge in 1965, Selma. Yeah. Because if they were uh-huh. in charge, I have to ask, what progress would be made as a consequence of raising the, the contradiction of Selma? Raising the yeah. contradiction of, 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 of Ferguson should result in more than simple, uh, like they fired a city clerk who, who you know, sent a racist um, comment out about Barack Obama, and they fired mm-hmm. two police officers so far. When this thing was so endemic to the entire city's operation, the entire city, from the mayor, the chief of police, the, um, the local court, the municipal court, this report shows and the grand a, jury. A concerted, a concert, and the grand jury, a concerted master plan. And I'm not even talking about a conspiracy. I'm saying it's just everyday white folk living off of everyday black folk. And that is let me, re- let me read from you a portion of what is documented in this report. It says, as discussed above, Darren Wilson has stated his intent in shooting Michael Brown was in response to a perceived deadly threat. Now, that is what it says uh, in the report. And then later on, it says, even if Wilson was mistaken in his interpretation of Brown's conduct, the fact that others, really meaning witnesses, and the grand jury interpreted that conduct the same way as Wilson precludes a determination that he acted with a bad purpose to disobey the law. Yeah, and th- and this is something that the Supreme Court has done with uh, ever since uh, Justice Rehnquist, um, the conservative judge, um, Chief Justice, changed the way in which the law was viewed uh, generally. It's the language. In terms of this question this question of 
criminal intent and criminal impact or disparate impact and disparate intent. Every lawyer knows this, that the new game is that every woman who's, who can hear my voice, who is discriminated against sexually at work, for example, would have to get a man or a woman who discriminates against them sexually to be a part of their own case to agree that they deliberately right. uh, discriminated against them before it, it's actionable. Before it's actionable. So, in other words, black people today, unlike in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and I would say 80s, black people today have to get racist to agree that they are racist toward them in order for them to to move legally in any direction of, for recovery. The court is and, only and, concerned and, and with even this, in this report, the Department of Justice buys into the idea. Um, in a case that you may not be familiar with, it's about the level of a constitutional violation and supporting criminal prosecution. It's Gardner versus Howard. Violations of internal – they're saying in the report, citing in the report, violation of internal policies and procedures does not in and of itself rise right. to violation right. of the right. Constitution. Right, and so choking, ter- choking Eric Garner to death uh, was a, was Thank was, you. was legal. It was legal, but it was against company policy. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think mm-hmm. what, what what's really tragic for this era is what 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 was really painful to me is nobody else is going to say this, but I am. Black people are going through the hell they're going through because Barack Obama is in the White House, and I'm not blaming him. I'm saying that these people in this country historically. Whenever black people have shown any effort forward, there's always been a vicious backlash. And in those emails specifically that were exposed, the police officers who engaged in this racist policing admitted that they had racial feelings toward the president of the United States, and much of their animosity toward black Ferguson was basically um, vicarious feeling toward Barack Obama, this notion that Barack Obama um, was somehow, you know, um, you know, the many negative things, I don't even want to justify the, the, the horrible things they said about mm-hmm. him in the emails. But what I'm suggesting is the same way that there was a backlash to Reconstruction when you have black senators, black mayors, black uh, congresspersons, there was a fierce era of Southern redemption where whites fought back for another decade or two until 1896, Plessy versus Ferguson made it the law of the land. That stayed in power until 1960. Uh, 1954 Brown versus Board of Education. When Jackie Robinson broke through, there was a, a backlash. When Jack Johnson broke through at, at, around the World War One period, there was racial violence. You know, in 1914, 15, 17, 19, 21. In, in Tulsa, uh, the red summer of 1919, East St. Louis, Illinois, um, uh, 1917. Um, you can move forward to the uh, Ronald Reagan revolution being a backlash to the modern civil rights movement that I believe we're still living in. So we're living in another backlash. And, 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 yes. and, and, and part, of, part of the reason why this violence is so rampant and so, so simultaneous around the country is, because, I think, because law enforcement officers who are racist, not all cops, but those who are racist, have made up their mind to show us black people that nobody's in charge, that Barack Obama does not dictate what, what they do at the local level. That was the attitude in 55. 
That was the attitude in 54. That was the attitude in Birmingham, the attitude in Selma. We don't care what Kennedy says. We don't care what JF, uh, what, uh, what LBJ says. Uh, if the governor uh, of Alabama has to stand in the schoolhouse door to show the federal government it has no power, this is a long practice of local whites showing any kind of government that has any interest in protecting the civil rights of black people that they are in charge. And so put a black man in the White House on top of that, and you are adding that element to what is already uh, a white hostility at the local level of black people and their and their advancement. So what I'm saying and, is, and the, and the right hand, the right hand of that is the movement at the state level for states' rights. Right. And, and, I mean, and for example, in Missouri, the governor of Missouri could very easily have opened up a special prosecution case for Darren Wilson. Um, he, he still could if he wanted to. Um, and, these, and, these are, and, 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 and uh, McCullough, you know, himself, his story and his family background, there's no, you know, I mean, he is, you know, playing the role of a prosecutor, you know. But, it, you know, when you, when you look at the way in which the, the African-American community of Ferguson is held like a like in the '60s. I, I'm sure you remember part of the arguments that Howell Cruz and others raised, uh, Stokely and, and Angela and others raised, was this idea that blacks were an internal colony here in America, an internalized colony, like an African colony or Asian Pacific Island colony. And I'm saying to you that there are many black colonies in America, like Ferguson, where white communities and white uh, municipalities live off of the punishment and the policing and the, the criminalization of black America. This is not isolated. This is, this is the new um, uh, regime of law enforcement in America, but this is the new democracy in America. This is what's frightening, is we've been saying this for years, and people are now seeing it every day. They killed a boy last night, as you mentioned uh, at the opening of your show, in Wisconsin. Um, and... Um, and Barack Obama stands up today and basically says, hey, things aren't like they used to be. They're better now. And I'm thinking, no, but, but the boy, they just killed the boy last night. I, I'm, I'm so frustrated with people today constantly going out of their way to say things are better now than they used to be. And I say, tell Trayvon Martin that. Things mm -hmm. are better than they were. No, I'm, I'm too young to remember sitting in the back of the bus. My mother did. I don't remember any of the stuff that the Civil Rights Movement experienced. But I, but, I, but I honor what they went through, and I refuse to say that what is happening today is somehow less violent than it was in the past when you got black people being shot down every 28 hours in America. Until that statistic changes, I'm not willing to separate now from always what black people have gone through. Well, I absolutely agree, but one of the things, too, that is very disturbing to me is the idea that this report has been framed in a way that the Justice Department will go in and negotiate a voluntary compliance agreement with the city of, uh, of Ferguson, Ferguson and with the police department, and they are going to do whatever they say in the soft terms, the training. Yeah. Yeah. The, the revision yeah. of some policies. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to stick with the idea that this is about really about revenue generation. Right, right. And it has and nothing to do. Right. Right. It has nothing to right. do with a Darren Wilson yeah. murdering Michael Brown right. under the cover of law. Right, right. 
and 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 you know and I, I want to play I, I want to play for a minute um, this this uh, mayor's response to this oh my goodness yeah um, to this uh, report and ask you to to comment uh, and ask my audience to really take a look at how irrelevant this report is to the people who run Ferguson. This is the mayor of Ferguson, Missouri. Justice. Okay, let me, this is going to go ahead and start. We're going to take... And he refused uh, to take, he refused to take questions at this press conference. (laughs) Good afternoon. I'm James Knowles, mayor of the city of Ferguson. Yesterday, Ferguson City Manager John Shaw, Ferguson Police Chief Tom Jackson, and Ferguson City Attorney Stephanie Carr, along with myself, met with the Department of Justice officials in downtown St. Louis to receive the final report of their investigation into the policies and practices of the City of Ferguson Police Department. The 100-page document outlined five specific areas of concern in which the Ferguson Police Department engaged in a pattern or practice of unlawful conduct that violates the United States Constitution and federal law. The Department of Justice began their investigation of the Ferguson Police Department on September 4, 2014. During the past six months, city officials have cooperated with the Department of Justice to supply tens of thousands of documents, which included thousands of emails from 75 employees of the city of Ferguson and other electronic materials from the Ferguson Police Department. The city also arranged ride-alongs for Department of Justice investigators to observe Ferguson police officers while on duty. During the meeting on Tuesday, Department of Justice officials informed the city of Ferguson that a review of city emails uncovered explicit racial bias by three individuals who are employed by the city of Ferguson Police Department. Let me be clear, this type of behavior will not be tolerated in the Ferguson Police Department. Okay. I can't do this anymore. I can't no. listen to this man. I, I, yeah. I just, I, I can't listen yeah. to the whole uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. press conference. It's typical. It's, it's, on, typical it's available to you who want to listen to it. But here is, here's the crux of the matter, Dr. Taylor. They are trying to take these emails and make right. them the core right. Right. of the violations. So like I said, we had three, tro- three troubled employees, and that's the problem here in Ferguson. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there really isn't anything in the report which speaks to the idea of obstruction of justice in the investigation by the state and by the federal authorities into the matter of Michael Brown's death. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't want to get too far off on this, but I, I was thinking about this in general. And I'm thinking, you know, the Obama administration you know, took the same position toward Wall Street, and Wall Street devastated black America intentionally. HSBC, Wells Fargo, Bank of America have been sued successfully by the federal government, and they have admitted that they targeted us and impoverished our communities and wiped out counties of black middle class, them like Prince, Prince George County out there in the D.C. area, and nobody's going to jail. Nobody, in other words, under Barack Obama's watch, and I, and I don't mean to offend those who support him because I do, I voted for the man twice. And I love Michelle Obama. 
But it seems like there's nothing that anybody can do to black people that will disturb Barack Obama enough to prosecute them. And that is, that is what is heartbreaking to me. And I say that not because we're black and because he's black. I say that because we gave him 94 to 96% of our vote two different times. He owes us because we voted for him faithfully. Not because we're black or because he's black. Our race and his race are irrelevant. That man owes black America because they voted for him in the same way every Democrat owes black America that gives them 95, 94, 92% of their vote. When LBJ got 94% of the black vote to take it back to Selma, LBJ tried to transform the entire federal apparatus in the war on poverty and the um, the great the new the great uh, what was the great society, society. he tried mm-hmm. to actually change the entire American structure around and being responsive to the civil rights movement and to black movement and to black support for him in the White House. But Barack Obama has no resolve, none except to give us a beautiful speech. Yeah, he can speak. He's a wonderful speaker. He gave a beautiful speech, but it was a speech that had nothing to do with black America's predicament. We need Malcolm X truth tellers right now. We don't need people speaking out of both sides of their mouth about how great things, how, how bad things used to be and how great things are, except we're being shot down in the streets every 28 hours. Every 28 hours. That is the bumper sticker. Yes, ma'am. That is the bumper sticker. Um, one of the things that is just so disturbing is that, yes, this report does provide evidence of what the citizens of Ferguson are doing, but it is clear to me that there was no organized analysis by grassroots people in Ferguson going on to look at deep issues. And that is why I'm calling this report shallow, inadequate, and it's going to end up my, my... you know, y'all going to send me email, tell me my own business. But it, it, it's going to end up that it's going to be about training programs, but it's not going to change the culture. It's going to no. be about the same management doing the same thing and getting the same results, but in a different way. It may right. not be stops on the street, but it will damn sure be more arrests of, of black men and black women in Ferguson under a cover of a new policy. Yeah. Yeah. And and don't be surprised. You've got the judge who was fining all of these people in Ferguson with these huge fees who hasn't even paid his own taxes. Right. $175,000 in taxes. Judge, I think his name is Ron uh, Brockmanner, owes $170,000 uh-huh. in taxes, which Obama should have him perp walk in front of everybody. Just make him a sacrificial lamb at the very least, because this man owes taxes, and Obama's administration through the IRS does have oversight in that direction to make an example out of him. Um, at the same time, he's throwing people in prison for, for, for jaywalking and for public intoxication. So it seems to me that, you know, my, my problem is that this – whole moment that we've been witnessing since August 9th, but really going back to Oscar Grant here in Oakland where I am. And I guess that's why I'm so sensitive to this because I am in Oakland and I am where, you know, so much of this activism has been steady from the moment Barack Obama was uh, elected. 
um, to the time he got actually inaugurated. Oakland had been up in arms around the murder of Oscar Grant on January 1st, 2009. Oakland snatched attention away from Zuccotti Park and New York and Occupy, the Occupy movement ended in Oakland, California. Um, you know, whenever Ferguson took action, there were more people arrested here in Oakland. Every single time we counted, there were more people arrested in Oakland, California, than in Ferguson, Missouri, around police brutality, because it's been an ongoing issue here in this community and in this region of the country, as it is everywhere. Um, you know, and, and so people have been engaged in, you know, bottom-up activism. Um, but there's just no way in which the current sort of analysis being offered in the, de the Department of Justice report or the media narratives that you talk about that will be unleashed on us tomorrow to tell, tell us about how wonderful Barack Obama's speech is that will footnote the fact that young, um, young brother um, uh, Tony Robinson was killed over in Wisconsin on Friday night at 6 o'clock. They will act like somehow Barack Obama's speech puts a, puts a cap on Ferguson. We now can put that like we did Dr. King and his bullet and his speech and his marches all in our collective, you know, box that shows that we're America and we're great and we overcome our racial problems. You know, the same way the bullet that, Martin, uh, that, that took out Dr. King is, a, is proof that America, uh, you know, is, is a progressive race, country racially. We, we, we work out our problems. And Barack Obama is proof of that. Um, and so it seems to me that local people at the, at the grassroots level in Ferguson should simply reject this, this, these findings, um, not, not reject the findings. I think they're useful in terms of lawsuits and, 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 and going forward. But in terms of the, the um, you know, any action coming from this report, the people should assume that there will be none and that they themselves and put pressure on that community. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, one of the things that is just mind-boggling is in the face of the whole nation, the whole black nation, yeah. Yeah. looking at the import of this report, it yeah. is just simply another vanilla-painted government Report and the analysis is not very good. Yeah. There is no disparate, there is no right. dis, uh, right. disparate impact analysis about right. even the anecdotal categories right. that that's presented in the report. There are right. no names. Right. For instance, on the issue of the canine dogs and African Americans, nobody in that report who right. manages canines is mentioned by name. Right, right. Yeah. And I just and, and don't a, believe... And, 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 to me, and to me, this is a cynical game that the administration and, and, and those in leadership in this entire you know, report are playing on us. That they, it's, it's cynical that they are, are trying to anticipate our responses with what they tell us, and so they give us this nonsense. Um, like you say, they tell us about dogs being out of control, but don't tell us who is controlling them. You know, um, you know, the chief of police and the police department are thanked and throughout the report for their cooperation. I mean, if you're a racist cop, if you're a Ku Klux Klan cop, are you going to misbehave on the night that the, at the Department of Justice is sitting in the back seat of your car? What good is it to have a ride-along with police officers doing their job when they're going to be on their best possible behavior to make you think exactly. that they are on their best behavior at all times? Well, you know, one of the so, things so that me, I think that we – 
we ought to that we 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 should be expecting out of this report not the conclusion about what were the findings, because it seems to me that the investigation itself was very shallow. Right. People have to understand that the Department of Justice generates a great deal of recipient funding to the city of, to the state of Missouri, to the city of Ferguson, and to the Ferguson Police Department. These people are going to do whatever they tell them to do in regard to maintaining that funding. That's right. And even under the Department of Justice's own regulations, the first thing that has to happen is a negotiation about compliance, allowing right. the police department to voluntarily comply to the to yeah. not the recommendations yeah. Yeah. of to the, avoid the from the federal, but, but they want to avoid Yeah, the, they're going to offer, lawsuit. this is what we will do to fix this, well, this is what we'll do to fix that, this is what yeah. we'll do to fix this, and the Justice Department will accept or not accept things. Right. But But what doesn't happen here... Because we're thinking that this is a major initiative to be able to address so much of the problem of police abuse, overreaching police authority and fascism and terrorism in communities across the country. It doesn't set the framework to move forward nationally. That's right. On these I agree. Issues. And, 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 that, and that is probably the greatest flaw uh, in, of this report is that they wanted to be so narrow and focus on Ferguson only, even though nearby Jennings, where, where Darren Wilson used to work, had the same problem. And, and most of the 89 counties in St. Louis counties, uh, municipalities around, 80, uh, around um, St. Louis, where most of those cops came from that aided and, uh, and abetted the Ferguson Police Department, they're doing the same thing in their little towns. And, and exactly. this is all over America. The Cleveland Police Department, even before mm-hmm. Tamir Rice was murdered, was exposed mm-hmm. for its violations of black people's civil rights where they shot, a married, I mean, shot, shot an unarmed couple of people who refused to stop 177 rounds, I think it was, into a, into a car of unarmed people. And that was in, that was in Cleveland. And then you have Tamir mm-hmm. Rice happen. And this it, this is exposed after they killed. I mean, the, the, the report was already in the working, and then they killed Tamir Rice. And the government and the American federal government still finds no prosecutable um, actions uh, amongst the, the the cops who are killing people. This is, so these officers are killing people, and and and, with, and the government is telling us these are terribly racist police departments that that target black people. But but they but they but the people that they killed didn't suffer. Murder at the hands of this racism. This is why it was so important. These are two impossible things for them to tell us at the same thing. This is why it's so important for them to have investigated the uh, grand jury proceedings and the grand jury management. They did not do that because they wanted to conclude. This matter lacked prosecutive merit 
and they right. wanted to say it should be right. closed. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, 18 U.S.C. 242 about firing a weapon as they as they use it in this report, indicating that um, Darren Wilson did not act with the requisite criminal intent, then I think they're doing themselves a disservice because criminals can use that. Right. 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 Uh, I just, I, 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 you know, the thing is that you have to come to a place where you look at this report, and I have read it like, Ten times, uh, <laughs> trying to get my my head around, right. uh, especially their citations. They're citing right. um, different court, uh, different law course that doesn't seem to even fit. Right. Um, you know, for yeah. instance, they cited in this report uh, a state of Morgan uh, case where it says an officer is permitted to continue firing until the threat is neutralized. Yeah. Well, come on. Yeah. It, that is saying that an officer need not stop shooting until the That's threat right. has ended, That's right. but That's right. it also doesn't have a firm standing around the issue of what is a threat. Right. And, 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 and that's a the black problem. boy in shorts and flip-flops. Exactly, exactly. Being black in America today is an, enough of a pretext for any law enforcement officer to shoot with impunity. That's where we are. And this is on Barack Obama's watch. And this is on hip-hop's yes. watch. So you can talk mm-hmm. bad about the civil rights movement being old and its issues are our issues because we're young or they're young and they don't, you know, all this old stupidity I keep hearing come from our young people, not the ones that are out there on the streets and the front lines, but I'm talking about this general attitude that you see in Jay-Z, Kanye West. You heard it from the likes of Steve Harvey, Charles Barkley, uh, Carl Malone. All of them in the last 10 days or so have dismissed our history and said slavery is unimportant and tried to mm-hmm. turn the tables that our predicament is because of us. Um, and this is what is disturbing to me is right now black people need witnesses, and it doesn't have yes. its witnesses. It needs yes. men and women who will stand up and speak truth to power, and they won't. Al Sharpton has been sold out. I hope I don't offend anybody, but Al Sharpton has been sold out 30, you know, 25 years ago. Those of us who are from New York know that Al Sharpton was on the dole. So, you know, you know, I have great respect for Jesse Jackson. Um, you know, even though people try to dismiss Jesse Jackson today, Jesse Jackson uh, has made significant contributions to African-American life, um, you know, over the past 25, 35 years, and I think he is due some respect. Um, but in terms of what we have today, black people, I, maybe, maybe I'm short-sighted, but it seems to me that we are under as much duress as we've ever been. I'm not saying it's worse than the 60s. I'm saying it's an extension of whatever was bad in the 60s. That stuff is still with us. Well, we I'll tell you, Dr. We Dr. are as residentially segregated as, we, as, as we've ever been. Average white people do not like average black people, even during the 2012 election. There were studies done by Pew, polls done, that, that asked questions to Republicans and Democrats who were white, how they felt about black people. And a majority of Republicans and a majority of white Democrats both had negative feelings towards black people in the majority. There's a study that somebody on, on the next radio program that you advertised in one of your commercials that someone cited in that 
commercial that talks about a study that was actually done at Stanford University out here in the Bay Area where two uh, psychologists who are assistant professors conducted a study that of, of San Francisco and, and New York City liberals, not, not Midwest, not down South whites, San Francisco white liberals, New York City white liberals were, were, were surveyed, and this is online for anyone to look at, and that survey concluded that when white people see and are told about the disproportionate harm and the devastation, the Holocaust that is happening to black people through mass incarceration, these white liberals want more, not less. Now, that is sick to me. That is sick, and we as a people have got to stop looking for anybody else outside of our own community at this point, because like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, and like uh, Dr. Uh, uh, John Henry Clark said, we don't have any friends, and we don't have any allies. All we have is ourselves at this point. And, and, if, and if you don't feel that way, then look at that report, because that report is saying to black America, yeah, they're killing you, but you're on your own because we can't do anything, and we're not going to do anything about it. We're going to work mm-hmm. with the killers and make them comply enough to keep you all happy and not marching on the White House or the, or the Capitol or in the city hall in, uh, in Ferguson. We're going to do enough to, to calm this thing down permanently so we can move on to our regular business as usual. And this is the harm and the horror of having a black man in the White House at this time is that the mobilization and the massive reaction you might normally get from black people in a time like this, like you did in 1992, L.A., where I was as a, a graduate student when, when it exploded. Um, instead, you end up with, you know, all of this creative energy of black people that would normally be responsive to a time like this, sort of, sort of standing down, assuming that Eric Holder and Barack Obama are going to take care of this for us. And I think that's the problem that Cornel West and others mm-hmm. have been trying to raise is the demobilizing impact that the black presidency has had on black America at the same time that it's had a mobilizing effect on white America. It's mobilized the Tea Party. It's mobilized the, the Patriot Movement. It's mobilized these right-wing congressmen in, in like Ted Cruz and these mm-hmm. other clowns who are from the Tea Party. Um, Affirmed and ignited. Open racist in gov- openly racist individuals in government, and they're, they, I mean, they are more expressive of their racism today than they were in 1967. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, when you hear every day, you turn on the internet, every day you hear some, usually a conservative, usually a Republican, usually saying something disparaging about black people or brown people or women people. You're absolutely right. And we're going to take a break right now and take your calls at 347-838-9852. We're talking with Dr. James Lance Taylor. He is the author of Black Nationalism in the United States, From Malcolm X to Barack Obama. You must buy the book. You must read it to um, adequately get this stuff in context. And I'll tell you, Dr. Taylor, I got a tough butt, but just the information, just just all of the stuff that I have to read, I had to take a break. <laughs> I, I, I had to I had to step away because after I mean in 1965 I was 15 years old I was I, I was a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um. And through my years of activism and prison reform, um, t- 
teaching in prisons when I was in graduate school. Deal. I mean, the idea. I, I, I actually said to someone the other day, you need to check what you understand about your privilege. You need to get out of my office, and when you come back, you need to check if I'm having a white free zone for the day. Because that's how it's everywhere, and and this new generation of lawyers and program analysts and right. people, right. right? They're buying right into it. They don't see it. They can't understand it. Uh, we have we have. I, I, I don't know what we're. I, I I don't know what our community is going to do. There is an attack on HBCUs. There, uh, you know, go to community college. Don't go to AP. <laughs> I mean, all yeah. of that stuff. We're going to take a break, and we come back. Uh, we'll take your calls with Dr. James Lance Taylor and get your response. We're asking the question, this shallow oversight and vague enforcement that this report is going to generate, does is, is it enough for Ferguson and is it enough for black America in this new Jim Crow era of police terrorism against black people in America. I'm Janice Graham, and we'll be right back. Don't you move. This is TruthWorks Network, the Black Voice Collaborative, where the truth is spoken more than once. Thank you so much for your support and joining us tonight. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real, raw, Right now. If it's real raw right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Join my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show, baby. You know that the ice cream scoop can make a child smile. And that by slowing us down, the traffic light can keep us going. You know that the lawnmower makes life easier. That the blood bank makes life possible. But did you know all these ideas came from the minds of African Americans? Support the United Negro College Fund. Because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Visit uncf.org or call 1-800-332-UNCF. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Republican Congress is looking to defund parts of Dodd-Frank. In the face of these losses, of this risk-taking, why aren't the Democrats out pointing the fingers to be saying they will be responsible should there be a need for government to step in with another bailout of banks because of this risk, about of these risky 
on derivatives and trading? Why aren't the Democrats pointing the fingers at the people who are standing in the way of reforming the financial institute? That's malpractice, malfeasance, and it's message. And to me, it just simply seems that I know I, I'm not I know because they're getting money from these same financial institutions to stall, to get this into... But if Republicans are playing cutthroat politics, why are the Democrats playing that? And why can't they be on the offensive? And that, that's the first thing. Here's the second charge. You've got the Republicans beating this old message of debt. You got Mitt Romney standing in front of a dead clock now. And that will be the narrative. And the Democrats, you don't see this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another debt fight. As they The best of political talkback. Common sense. Right from the concrete. Urban, progressive, politics, politics, politics. Friday night at TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m., Alpha drills down deep the lies, the conspiracies in politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpha Show. And don't forget to check out Alpho, the Gypsy Man, on Friday nights at TruthWorks Network. Um, he, he's just, you know, he serves hot grits with his politics on Friday nights, 10 p.m., TruthWorks Network. Because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long. Because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the village where the grapes of wrath are stored. He's loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. That night, Viola Liuzzo, a white housewife from Michigan, was murdered by Klansmen as she transported marchers back to Selma. President Johnson signed the Voting Rights Bill into law on August 6, 1965. By the following summer, 9,000 blacks registered to vote in Dallas County. August 11, five days after the Voting Rights Bill was signed, the Watts area of Los Angeles, California exploded in racial violence. More than 1,000 people were injured. 34 died. It signaled a new direction for the movement, the next phase of America's civil rights years. And that 
continues the story of Bloody Sunday. We're talking with Dr. Lance Taylor. He's the president, the past president of the National Conference of Black Political Scientists and the author of Black Nationalism in the United States from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. Our number is 347-838-9852. We thank you for being with us. And on our breaks, don't forget to um, go to our Facebook page. We have a very famous um, talk show host who always says, uh, on our Facebook. I'm saying on our Facebook page. It's... uh, OCG Talk at Facebook, and we thank Dr. Lance Taylor for being with us again, just laying it out, drilling it down. (laughs) I'm just not one who thinks that any vanilla-flavored government report can be the basis of real change. Because it's not addressing Dr. Taylor, it's not addressing police brutality, right. and terrorism against black people. Right. Let's yeah, go to and, our and phones. Can, go ahead. Right. Before we go to the, the phones, make it... Oh, no, make I was going to say, you can see the same thing. You can see the same thing in the 60s with the Kerner Commission report, the Moynihan report. These these Blue Ribbon Commissions, the report, you know, the, the report about the assassination of Kennedy. Um, you know, you can you find these these reports, but they, like you say, they basically are interesting studies that invest a lot of human capital and energy and money, and then nothing ever comes of them. Exactly. But, you know, you don't have to go back that far, Dr. Taylor. You can look at almost, you can go to the EPA, you can go to HUD, you can go to Commerce, you can go to Health and Human Services, you can go to Homeland Security and see thousands of negotiated voluntary, they call them VCAs. You know, if if you really wanted to do something in your community about police right. brutality, right. go to your Justice Department, submit a FOIA, which is a Freedom of Information. How many VCAs do you have against police departments in my state? Mm-hmm. Ask what happened in Cleveland when the Department of Justice entered into and executed a voluntary compliance agreement, VCA, with the Cleveland Police Department and what they said they would do to address their issues and ask what kind of oversight is going on. All you have to do is listen to some of these police chiefs. They're psychopaths. I mean, if you listen to the, the, the speech that the new um, uh, the director of the FBI, uh, James Comey, Com- I believe his name is. Yeah, I did uh, listen to that. Speech, and that I was a profound expression. That was a profound acknowledgement coming from a man that sits in J. Edgar Hoover's office of exactly. racist policing. And then the president, the black man, tells us, oh, it's, no, it's, it's harmless. But, but a white man gets up and who runs the, justice, you know, runs the FBI says, there's a problem with the way we police black people in America, and we need to admit it, and it's been a long problem, and it's a problem everywhere. But then Barack Obama and Eric Holder want us to say, okay, let's contain it. Let's only think about this in the context of Ferguson. Let's only think about this as three white people who are racist with their emails. Let's not include Darren, uh, Darren Wilson and Michael Brown in this equation. Um, this has nothing to do with national patterns and national trends. Amnesty International did not come to Ferguson. The United Nations did not come to Ferguson. Um, everything that happened in Ferguson 
didn't happen. Exactly. And the bottom line, before we go to the phones, black lives don't matter. You see, I keep saying to you out there that we keep proclaiming black lives matter. Look at this report and tell me black lives matter in Ferguson. Right. I'm sorry. Seen enough. 855, you're on the air with Dr. James Lance Taylor and a crazy woman who decided to unleash. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Hey. Yeah. Hey there, uh, Janice and uh, and Dr. Taylor. Um, I, Ms. I, India uh, declare uh, the I'm I so hot show. right now. Uh, it most certainly is. Look, I am with you guys 100, okay? I'm with you 100. And I, I was in your chat room. And look, this is my thing. And, and push back on me, please. Um, we had less than, if I'm not mistaken, less than 36% of the American people vote. Of course, we know that the voter obstruction and the right. and the uh, um, uh, and restrictions. We don't know how many people were kept from voting. The ninety plus ninety five, ninety six, whatever the percentile is of Barack Obama's constituency went home after the first inauguration. Mm-hmm. This and I know this has history and legs and cobwebs and all of that. But in terms and in the context of Barack Obama. The man said it himself today on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. We gave away our power. If we want a report with teeth and with roots, we need to show up. We need to be relentless. We need to be consistent. We need to be every day and own it. And we, we have not done that. I can't hold Eric Holder accountable for that. I hold us accountable for that. Now, I can hear Eric Holder and Barack Obama in the office right now. They would tell me, well, India, wait a minute. What kind of report would you get with President Romney? I can't get y'all to vote. The man said it today. He took his constituency to the woodshed today. If they Mm. would put the same emphasis on getting some goddamn Jordan tennis shoes as they put, if they would put that emphasis on voting, we wouldn't be here. You want to report with teeth? Show up every day. Support our common ground. Support Truth Works. Support I Declare Media. Support your people. Running into Walmart after they shot that baby dead. Right, right, right. That's right. Uh, 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 Barkley or whoever these fools yeah. are, I don't watch yeah. none of that crap. Yeah, right. Stop putting your money, right. stop investing your money in people that you know don't give a damn about you. That's right. And Amen. show up. Then you have the leverage to tell uh, Holder, Obama, or whoever else, I voted for you, I consistently vote for you, I got my stiletto boot on your neck. And I want teeth in the report. And until we do that, you're going to continue to get a vague and shallow piece of work. Because that vague and shallow, quote, close, quote, reflects us. Mm. Well, there, there are I love you, of, and I'll listen on the other side. I love you, too, India. Thank you so much. Uh, you should 
Check Thank out you. India Declare on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. at Blog Talk Radio. She is um, India real raw and right now. <laughs> but India, there, 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 and Dr. Taylor, I want to get your mm-hmm. your response. But right. here, here are some things you have to think about that these problems are multidimensional. Right. And that there can be 15 rights and diagonal to those rights can be 15 wrongs. And the thing is that if we show up, we need a government that's going to ensure that showing up also means our children are get, not get, getting gunned down in the street. Our right, communities right. are not being filled with military right. machines right. hunting them down. Right. So, and, and it, I agree. I agree with India. I agree with India completely in terms of the, the whole idea that black people need to, you know, I mean, if, if, if they have not been, if we have not been awakened now, I don't know what, you know, there's nothing more that we need to awaken us. We, it, you know, the message is clear as you as you said earlier. So, you know. We should be awake and aware and trying to figure out our way through this mess. And I think, you know, in fairness to the many people who are on the front lines, there are thousands of people on the front lines. I would say I would say tens of thousands of people that you and I love and would support all over this country, people that we don't know, organizations that we don't know, young people that we don't know that are on the front lines, and they are out there doing their thing, creating organizations, using technology, using the Internet. So I just think we should at least acknowledge that there's a lot of activism and a lot of activity going on amongst our people. But what I agree with India on is that we have to make this so routinized in our our daily consciousness as a people that that there needs to be a concerted uh, effort. If Black Lives Matter can become something that we say to each other in terms of the way black power changed the way we thought about ourselves, Forget how they see us and our lives matter. What if we take Black Lives Matter and and apply it to ourselves so that we value us? And and I think that exactly. will go a long way, at least in community, at the communal level of, of, of making it possible for us to mobilize. But right now when the guns are there, when the indifference is there, when the young think that the old are somehow irrelevant, um, when the old think the young, um, you know, are, are, you know, are reckless, um, you know, we have to figure out as a people um, what do what can we do at the local level because there are no big national solutions. Obviously, electing a black man to the White House didn't work for us, so we have to go back to the local, at the local level of community, exactly on the block. I think that's where we can see change is at the local level. Exactly, we can't wait for the national you, movement moments. You, you, you know, I'm glad you said that because I had a very disturbing experience on Facebook with a sister who I have been very supportive of and um, who I have been um, just a a cheerleader for some of the things that she is doing in her professional life. And she actually (laughs) said that I was over 65, so that's why... uh, uh, me and my cohorts, and you know, and right. I questioned her about that, and she and I were about to get into something, and I don't get into something uh, on <laughs> Facebook with anybody, and I right. had to say, bye, Felicia. 
<laughs> Let's go to right. 314. 314, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. You know, uh, I see a lot of work in the, the DOJ report. It gives us a basis in order to start uh, establishing these changes. And the critical thing here, and unfortunately that Mike Brown has lost his life, is to change those public works jobs. Whites here don't give a damn about the morales, the doing right, and treat you right. No, it's the public works jobs that they commute up to 30 miles a day. It's those public works jobs, mm-hmm. i.e. the police, the fire department, city hall, public works itself, and the school district, that they implement these changes. That order to bring in more revenue by from the police traffic. And by the way, uh, Are you in Ferguson? Ferguson sits, yes, I am. About 15 mm. minutes from there. Okay. They put those orders in place. And Ferguson is not deriving all that revenue from from the people of Ferguson themselves. And see, this is another thing. You know, everybody, all the blacks in Ferguson are not voter age. You're talking, you you're including children and everything else. Right. Ferguson right, right. sit between several. Uh, you know, right across the street is Delwood. Right up the street is Country Club Hills. So going back north is Moline Acres, and uh, going south is Berkeley, which is all black communities and black governments. But you got Ferguson, which is left over from, I guess you can say, the dinosaur age. And that's the problem. You got this good old boy system, which we want to get rid of. Well, we want to have, and I was talking with a member of the Urban League, they need to establish a training system and start training black youth in a high school, an emergency medical technician, paralegal, and first responder so that they can go into the fire district and also put some sort of a law enforcement class in the high school to start prerequisiting these children for these police jobs. Well, see, you just, what you just challenged, a caller from Ferguson, is that got to engage not only the Department of Justice by by using this report, and that's why it, it should have been more detailed. You, you've got Homeland Security. You've got, you just mentioned, Homeland Security, Department of mm-hmm. Education, uh, HUD, because HUD has a program called Youth Bill uh, mm-hmm. th- that gets funded. But the, the, the fundamental problem is that you have, got, you have government elected officials in the city of Ferguson who are working in a system of white supremacy. And that's not just Ferguson. You know, well, you I, know, I, here I, in Ferguson, three of the white council members are, are not running. So you had the Ed James' son who sits there on the board, and you got possibly three other blacks that could possibly get on board and take over uh, that government. As soon as blacks take over that government, the next thing they need to do is have the state audit. They need to petition the state auditor to come in and audit those four major exactly. departments, police, fire, city hall, uh, public right. works, and also the school district. School district right. is a little exactly. bit different because it's Ferguson, Florissant. 
those two different cities combining mm-hmm. their children mm-hmm. together. So it's them jobs, I'm telling you. I've been watching yes, this stuff since. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's and you those know, jobs. Ferguson, stay, in, stay on that issue, and that's what we've got. That's why this report was going to be so important, and the report is so vague. It is so. It is framed in a way that it does not address the underlying issues which cause the disenfranchisement right. of black people in yeah, Ferguson. Right. And black people have been complaining about this forever. It finally just okay. you know just met a wall. And one other thing, real okay. quick, we don't want to dissolve the police department because then the other option is for St. Louis County to take over. And blacks only make up 23% of St. Louis County, whereas they make up 60% of Ferguson and 100% of some other towns. And 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 that's the difference in the police. See, I'm interested in people working in these these minimum wage with benefits and pension jobs where they can live in the community, they can pay their house right. note, they can put right. roofs on, they can right. pay their, their children's right. athletic fees and, 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 and so words, on and so on and so on. In other words, live like the wife, in other words, live like the people who've been working in municipal government in Ferguson have been doing for, for a couple of years. You're absolutely years. right, sir. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let you guys go on. I really appreciate the, the well, program. We've got to put more emphasis on that, next, too. Join us next sun, next Saturday night. Uh, Yvette Carnell of Breaking Brown is going to be with us, and we're going to be talking about the media issues related to uh, what has occurred across the country uh, in disseminating and analyzing these issues. So uh, I hope you'll join us then. Thank you so very much. You see, Dr. Dr. Taylor, it is... Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is so many intersectionalities to the issue right, right, of Michael right. Brown's death. Right, right. You yeah, know the it, fact it, it, that this guy, the the caller from Ferguson, was was talking about jobs. Right. Uh, I have sent a letter of complaint to the Boston City Hall in regard to. Uh, the companies that were contracted try to move some of the snow. I didn't see one black face in not right. one one of these little trucks right. running around. I mean, right. because they're contracting with companies, small companies, people who right. have five tractors and and five drivers, right. and they're not. There's no infrastructure for black businesses to get involved. Yeah. In snow removal, yeah, and I don't want to be negative and discouraging because I agree with 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 the caller in terms of you know people getting involved and and saturating these these opportunities that might be out there, but I agree with you to the extent that there there is really this larger structural problem that is bigger than Ferguson, it's bigger than Missouri, it's 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 a national problem, and that is for example, and this is political, the way in which Republicans and Democrats every 10 years are able to redraw their maps and redraw their electoral districts, what we call gerrymandering in political science, um, is part of the problem. Like you can have black folk in Ferguson take over the entire police department, the the courts and the uh, police department and the mayoralty. What does that mean in terms of the ability of Missouri state legislators in a former slave state um, well, you know where where Dred Scott's dead body is a few miles away, a few a few hundred feet away from Mike Brown's dead body across 150 years between the two men. 
Mike Brown and Dred Scott. Um, how do you how do you fix that kind of deep seated um, uh, you know racial culture um, with simply more black faces? The problem mm-hmm. is structural. The the structural apparatus of gerrymandering and electoral redistricting in our country is part of the problem. For example, exactly. the Democrats won two by two. The Democrats earned two million more votes than Republicans in 2012, and they lost the they lost the the House of Representatives, and Republicans held on to a majority of the state houses, and they lost by two million votes. But the way in which those votes were, you know, captured and and mm-hmm. uh, collapsed into entire electoral districts is to render them two million votes invisible. Exactly. So Which we can is talk why about, we can talk about black folk getting involved, and we can you know we can say we need to get out there, and I agree we do in spite of this, but we need to acknowledge that what we're talking about is structural beyond um, our group, be, beyond. Uh, you know, racial politics, it's a problem structurally uh, at, the, at the larger level of this country's, uh, you know, e- a political structure itself. Absolutely. And, and you're talking about the uh, combination of voter suppression campaigns and, re- and, and, and racist redistricting. Right. That's right. Those are, pro- those are political tools used right. to further right. suppress the right. franchisement right. and agency of black people what, and communities. Right. Which is why the politicians who say horrible things about women, which is why politicians who say horrible things about Latinos and immigrants or Chicanos and immigrants, which is why politicians who say horrible things every day about black people in America, fear no consequences. They fear no yes. consequences of negative votes because their constituents are, are largely amending what they do. And Absolutely. this is part of the problems. I, and I don't know how you fix that, except like, for example, here in California, uh, there was a referendum uh, last in 2012 where the voters voted favorably to allow independent citizen boards to draw the electoral maps. And that happened in another state nearby. But the Supreme Court is now reviewing these cases. And, 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 and the, uh, the suggestion is they are likely to, you know, uh, rule these unconstitutional mm-hmm. usurpation of electoral leaders' power. In other words, for us to create citizen uh, independent groups that do this work, um, the Supreme Court is saying we can't do it because that's the responsibility of Congress. And that puts, it right back, that, that puts the gun right back in the hands of the criminal in the first place. <laughs> absolutely. Dr. Taylor, it's been just a pleasure to have you. you back with us. Yes. Uh, yes. I am hoping that people really understand that... We have to. All of this. It's time to any, be on fire, Black America. It's time to get on fire. If you're not on fire now, when will you be? It's now. Yes. It's not later. Yes. It's now. Yes. And revolutionary strategies are multidimensional. It does yes, not ma'am. mean. It does not That's mean right. that we challenge the system, and we dismantle the system, but we can't believe and understand that elections count. That's right. That That's right. we can pay attention to the machinations of what is happening in the Congress, but what mm. is happening at the school board, at the city council, That's right. That's right. is is as important. That's right. That we can't decide that, oh, I listen to Our Common Ground every Saturday night. I'm doing right. my thing. Right. So. Uh, I, I do want you to come back with us. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'd be glad. Um, 
uh, this month because I want to talk about the Chicago's legacy of police abuse and uh, looking at this home and square facility uh, with us, and I hope that you will. Yeah, yeah. So... and, and just keep in mind that the President of the United States was humiliated today by having to give that speech on a bridge that is still named after a Ku Klux Klan founder in Alabama and a Confederate uh, leader. That goes to show you, with all that talk about how things have changed, he's standing under the name of Edmund Pettus. That nullifies his claim that things have gotten so much better than they used to be. I refuse to accept that claim, and I think we need to keep working to, to bring about the change we want to see. Well, you know, I'm a sponsor of a debate and oratory club of African-American high schoolers here in Boston. Mm -hmm. And for the purpose of black oratory, um, I am hoping that one of our oratorical stars will pick up that speech. I thought it was a powerful speech. I believe in NAMO. Um, But... Everything is in context. Right. I agree. Well, you take care out there, yes, and uh, we look forward to and make sure people having know that the Republicans And make sure people know that the Republicans boycotted today's event, all of them. And that's a problem as well, but that, we don't have time to talk about it. That's something else we need to well, pick up Well, you know, one of the things that I did like is one of my sheroes is Diane Nash, and she refused right. to walk, I love over, it. I love what she did. To so walk over the bridge because of George Bush's That's right. presence. That's right. Yep. That's right. That was so I love powerful. it. Every yes, little ma'am. bit counts. You remember that yes, song? Ma'am. You're too young for that yeah. song. <laughs> it's all right. I, I believe in it anyway. I believe in it anyway. That's okay. Right. Thank you so much Take for care. joining us, and Take you care. might want to st- right. stick around for our close with Stokely Carmichael. Kwame Ture. Yes. You're listening to Our Common Ground, and we have had such a great uh, discussion with uh, Dr. James Lance Taylor. Um, Please go to our Facebook page and look at, we always provide an event announcement for our programs and reference materials so that you can be prepared for the discussion when you call into the show. We thank uh, India Declare of the India Declare Show, and don't forget, she's on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. right here, the I Declare Show, Real Raw, and right now, Alpho of the Alpho Show, serving hot grits with his politics. If you don't make it a plan to be Friday nights 10 p.m. with Alpho, you are missing the black translation of politics in America. And it is a wonderful show. Every Monday night at 8 p.m., we provide a podcast at TruthWorks Network with the Chauncey DeVega show. And we hope that you will take a listen. You can do it on on demand. All of our shows are on demand. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. We're on Pinterest. And we have four different websites that you can join. One is a blog. One is a program um programming and that is for our common ground with Janice Graham and Truthworks Network. Thank you so very much for being with us and we'll see you next week right here at ten PM with Yvette Carnell. We're gonna be talking about Byron Allen's suit against uh black media. Have a good week and uh eyes on the prize. Oh,
Rebellion of 1965 to see the uh, one in 1993. Was it here with Rodney King? It was 1993. And if you look, it's just like a repeat performance. You know, all of them, all the rebellions in this country, every last one of them has occurred over an act of police terrorism. All of them, without every last one of them, police terrorism. And there always response to these uh, police terrorism, but the response is spontaneous and organized. So I was saying, we're such an unorganized people. We don't even do simple things, you know, like they do in Northern Ireland. You know, it's not a big thing, you know. Burn some rubber tires to stop uh, cars from coming. That's simple. You know, it costs nothing. But uh, the point was, we don't even think of these simple little things like that. You know, Malakoff cocktail, simple things. Because once the rebellion started, the snipers went up on the roofs. <laughs> the Malakoff cocktails were thrown. <laughs> they looked for the tires to burn. So uh, the emphasis was to say... Let us move from spontaneity to uh, organization, since we're going to do it anyway. How far would you go with violence to bring about the revolution? All the way. All the way. All what's, the way. That, what's that mean? Uh, whatever's necessary. Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground tonight. We look forward to having you next week, 10 p.m., Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.